Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment and let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, our youth pastor, Devin Snellgrove, is finishing up our Advent series, The Expected One. For next weekend, a reminder that we do not have services on December 23rd or December 25th, and that we will have services on Christmas Eve at 11 a.m., 12.30 p.m., 2 p.m., 3.30 p.m., and 5 p.m., and we'll be live streaming the 12.30 p.m. service. We have our December Giving Challenge happening this month, and each week over 3,500 people come through this building. And last year, we received over $550,000 towards ministry here at Southview, and so we would ask that you prayerfully consider giving during this month. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. The sermon text, Isaiah 9, 1-7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke of the burdens that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For, us to, for, us to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello, everyone. For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Devin, and I serve in our student ministries here at Southview. And I'm just super excited to get to share this Christmas season as uh, Christmas is my favorite holiday of the year, has been since I was a little kid. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been working through a series called The Expected One. And we've been looking at what three Old Testament prophets had to say about the coming Messiah that we now know as Jesus Christ. And I apologize if that's a spoiler for any of you. 
But it has been, it had happened a while ago, so I don't feel too bad, but just a little. But I love that we called this series the expected one because Jesus was just that. He was expected. As we have looked at each Old Testament prophet uh, these last couple of weeks, they all have shared about a season of anticipation. Now, if we're being honest with ourselves, or maybe if I'm just being honest with myself, anticipation can be rough sometimes. When we want things to happen, we want them to happen right now, instantly. And that's why for a long time, I didn't like shopping online. Yes, they had a greater variety of options. Yes, they had way more stock. But when you click through everything that you want and you click purchase, you don't have the item physically in your hand. Instead, you have an email in your, in your inbox saying that they're in the process of putting your order together. Now, I have overcome that. I do quite enjoy online shopping. In fact, I did all of my Christmas shopping online. Simply for the ease of it, it's great. But that waiting for it, that anticipation, even if you order off Amazon and you get the package the next day, for me, it feels like those hours, those minutes, those seconds, they, they feel like centuries all on their own as I await that beloved package of something that I'm excited to open up. And even though anticipation doesn't hurt you, at times it just feels like it does. It's like, man, can this ever happen? Now, I know I might be one of the only people in the world that, anticip that anxiously waits for his packages from Amazon, but there are bigger anticipations in our lives, right? Think about when you went to school, like when you applied to university or college for the first time, or if you're in that process now. From the second that you sent in your application, that entire time, you're sitting there waiting to hear back. And, and the anticipation of that just builds, and it builds, and it builds. And it's the same if you have an interview for a job, you know, you send in your resume and your cover letter and whatever else they ask for, and then you're just, you're waiting. Will I get a phone call? Will I get an interview? And then through each step of the process, there's that waiting time where you're just sitting there wondering what's going to come next. That time in between can be very hard. And it's the same when you're waiting to hear from God. You're expecting an answer, but while you sit in anticipation, waiting for God to answer it, because we know he answers, that time is rough. It's hard. Now, I'm sure some of you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, well, Devin, you already spoiled, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. We know that. So we're not in anticipation anymore. Well, we are. It's just different. We're actually now in a season of anticipation, waiting for Christ's return, expecting his return. And if you've ever read Revelation 21, where it talks about the new heavens and the new earth, it sounds pretty wonderful. I'm looking forward to when that becomes a reality for us. So we're not out of that season of anticipation. Simply put, we're just facing it differently than the people when, that Isaiah was writing to, the Israelites of that day. Now, today's passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7, which was already read for us, and thank you to our reader for doing that, it sets the scene. It talks about how there's this darkness, and there's going to be light, 
It shares about how that light conquers that darkness. But it happens in a way that is unexpected. It happens in a way that you wouldn't think of. And here's the tension. When we live or when we are surrounded by darkness, it can seem all-consuming. It can seem vast. It can seem deep. It can seem wide. It can seem overpowering. And when you're in that space, that darkness, it's often that you feel alone and lost. And it feels like it's infinite, like it's never going to end. Then that feeling's even heightened even more if you're afraid of the dark like I am. It's crazy how isolating that feeling can be when you can't see an inch in front of you. And it's not just this physical darkness, but there's more to it than that. You mix that with anticipation and waiting because you know something's coming. And it's like, man, this is an emotional storm inside me. Everything's going on. Now, as I was preparing for this so far very encouraging message... And I promise you, it gets better. As we've already seen in the scripture, it talks a lot about light and how light wins. But as I was preparing for this message, a question came to my mind. And that question is, have you ever felt left in the dark? Now, when I shared my intro with Sam as we were talking about it, because all the pastors get to help each other with our messages, uh, he suggested that we turn off all the lights and then just have me up here speaking so we'd be in experience that darkness. Pretty cool idea, but I didn't think I'd make it on the stage, in all honesty. And I'm afraid of the dark, so I was like, mm, I, I don't know how well this is going to go over. Plus, then you'd also get the glow from my iPad, and it'd be like the awkward underbeard. It's just, it would not be a good time. But I'm not talking about physical darkness when I ask this question. Because if you have slept alone at nighttime with the lights off, you've been in darkness. What I'm talking about is that feeling of like mentally, emotionally, or spiritually being left in the dark. A time where everything around you seems like it's going wrong, or a time where it seems like everyone else is moving forward and you're stalled out. That's the kind of darkness that I'm talking about. I've been there. In my third year of Bible school, uh, you'd think by the third year I wouldn't be experiencing this, but, you know, everyone's open up. Anyone can experience this. But by my third year, I developed a rhythm in my life. Now, some rhythms are really good. Other rhythms are not so much. And so the rhythm that I had built in my life was, you know, going to class, hanging out with my friends, going to church, serving in the church. You know, you think, well, Devin, that all sounds really good. But what had happened is I had started to de desensitize myself to my relationship with God. The Bible felt more like a textbook. Attending church felt more like a chore. And as I was getting settled into my third year, I started to experience a feeling of emptiness, a feeling of being lost, a feeling like God had forgotten about me. And it was at that time that I realized that something had to change. And even though I was surrounded by, you know, great godly people that could speak wisdom and encouragement into my life, I still felt like I was trapped in this darkness. Even though I was in classes where I learned about how great and mighty God was, I still felt like I was in that darkness. 
Even though I attended a great church full of awesome people and we worshiped God every week together, I still felt like God had forgotten me. It was a rough season of life to walk through. And if you're there right now, you, you probably know and agree. But once I realized that, I realized something had to change. And this is a similar kind of season, this feeling of darkness that God's people, the Israelites, who were the audience of Isaiah's message from God, were about to be in. In order for us to get the most out of today's passage, we have to understand what that darkness was that was talked about early on in Isaiah chapter 9. So let's take a little bit of time and talk about the darkness. This is a darkness that surrounded God's people, and uh, during this time, they were getting close to a season of exile. So if you know anything about Old Testament history, they experienced two seasons of exile. This is leading into one of them. And as they're getting close to that season, there is another nation rising into power, and it's the Assyrians. But what was happening is that the Assyrian nation, even though they hadn't taken over where they were living, they were starting to influence God's people. The way they lived, the way they behaved, who they worshipped, was all being influenced by the Assyrians. So they were changing from a nation that was focused on God to a nation that was worshiping Assyrian gods. However, since they knew that God was far greater than anything else and that they were set aside as God's people, they were blind to this coming season of exile. That's why Isaiah had to step in. That's why God gave Isaiah that message to share with them. And to simply put it, he was saying, hey, there's a darkness that has surrounded you. The choices you're making, they're not wise. Danger's coming. Please repent and turn from your ways. If you don't, you'll lose your freedom as a nation and you'll be taken into exile. Now, because we know more of what's going on, we know what they decided to do, but this was a simple message but it was just falling on blind eyes and deaf ears. They had surrounded themselves with this false ideology that God would, would protect them despite them not remaining faithful. They had a covenant with God, but they weren't holding up to their own end. It'd be like making a deal with someone to buy something and then not giving them the money, but expecting to still get it. The Bible shows us that they were in a predicament. But it wasn't just that they were falling into a new lifestyle. They were also about to head into a season of silence. See, when we read the Old Testament and the New Testament as well, it shows moments where God is working. It's like highlights in times, but there's also large gaps of seasons where God is silent. And in that, the only thing that they can have is their hope and their faith to cling to something. So when Isaiah calls them to hope in the light, as he does in the beginning of, our, of chapter 9, he's also calling them to hold on to their faith as things are about to go silent. And luckily for us, this passage, all seven verses, focuses in on this light that they can hang on to, this light that they can hope for. 
Specifically in verse verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So he's talking about people, they're there, they're in that darkness. And he's saying, there's a light. Everyone can see it. It's present. Isaiah wants his audience to understand that where they're at and their decisions, yes, they do have consequences. Yes, they are going to face some hard times. But ultimately, God plans to restore them. God will rescue them. Isaiah wants them to know that where they are now is not where God intends to leave them. Pretty powerful. And that's the same message for us. This encouraging message of this is not where God intends to leave us is still true for us today. In fact, we can see that all the more because we have recorded in our Bibles who that Messiah is. The ministry that he lived, the actions that Jesus did on the cross, taking on our sin, being the ultimate sacrifice, rising from the dead, defeating sin, and giving us freedom through him. That light, that salvation is there for each and every one of us. So if you're here today and you are in a season of darkness and you feel lost, please know that there is hope, that there is light, that there is a king that does not intend to leave you in darkness. So now let's talk about the good part. Let's talk about the light. Isaiah's gone from explaining where they are at and where their actions are going to take them, and he's shifting them to the positive part, and that's the coming light. And all seven verses speak of deliverance. For as we've learned over this fall season, if you've been with us through Philippians, and then again over the last two weeks, we've been working through this Expected One series, we've learned that God operates differently than we expect. And he did the same for the Israelites as well. Despite the chaos that they'd be feeling, the chaos that they'd be experiencing, even though they felt left in darkness, Isaiah introduces a source of hope for them, a source of encouragement, something that they can hold on to, a centering point. So when everything feels like it's falling apart, they have something to focus on. But it's important to point out what they would have been expecting when they heard this. See, verses 1 through 5 kind of highlight this idea of a coming king. Now, Isaiah doesn't say there's a coming king, but they would have been expecting that. And when we look at this passage today, it's very easy for us to look at it and go, well, that was Jesus. Because we have more of history at our fingertips. It's accessible to us. They didn't even know who Jesus was yet. There was prophecies that spoke of someone coming that was going to deliver But they didn't fully know what that looked like or what that was going to be. And you can see Isaiah building up to what this king will be. Even in verse 4, Isaiah mentions Gideon from the book of Judges and how he defeated the Midianites. And he did it with God with him because God kept shrinking his army down more and more. So it was a completely unfair number and only they could only have won with the help of God. 
But Gideon did free them from the hold that Midian had on them back in the book of Judges. And hearing this, they would have believed fully that a king is coming and that this king is going to create change. And they weren't fully wrong. But then in verse 6 and 7, it explains what this light is going to be. And I want to read them for us again, starting in verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah states that this light, this redemption, the victory that's going to come, it's going to come from a baby. Let's just let that sink in. In their minds, they're thinking of a king. And Isaiah is saying, it's going to be a baby. If you imagine being an Israelite in that moment, and you're about to experience a, a horrible season of exile, but you hear there's hope, you'd be drawing your own imagination of what that would be. And they were expecting a great and mighty king beyond the kings that they had experienced before. But then for Isaiah to say, what you're imagining is actually going to be an infant born into the world helpless. Now, don't get me wrong. There have been young rulers over their history. And I know that babies have very strong grips. But I have never seen a baby hold a sword. Nor have I seen anyone leave a baby with a sword, probably for good reasons. But all silliness aside... What would have given them hope in that moment as they heard that the light and the source of hope that they had was a child would have been the names and the power behind the names that Isaiah gave this child that was coming. Called him Wonderful Counselor. When you're in a season of darkness, you need direction. The child would be wise and intelligent enough to guide them through the oppression and the bondage that they were about to face and receive in exile. They also called this child a mighty God. No king before could have ever lived up to that name. That doesn't mean that there weren't kings that tried to self-proclaim it, but none of them were able to live up to the power of being known as a mighty God. And this child was going to have characteristics of Jesus, was going to be able to be fully human, or sorry, characteristics of God, fully human and fully God. He was going to be able to live up to his name. Second, everlasting father. This child would love and care for them like a father does his children. When you're in a season of darkness, being reminded of the love that you have is really powerful, really encouraging. And then lastly, Isaiah said that he would be called prince of peace. When your life's in chaos and everything is going wrong, experiencing peace is a beautiful gift. So as they were about to head into a season of chaos, they had these names and this hope of this coming child to cling to. 
as their worlds were going to change drastically. And then on top of all of that, verse 7 reminds us that this child's reign is going to last forever. It wasn't going to be for a couple of years. It wasn't going to be for a short season. It was going to be eternal. And that is the kind of king that any nation would want. That is the kind of king that was coming through this child. And this was the hope that the Israels had while they were in a season of exile. This is the hope that we have today. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting father. He's our prince of peace. His ministry transcended his time on earth. And having Jesus as king in our lives is still a source of hope today. One of the commentaries that I read in preparation, because I really wanted to make sure I got the history right as we approached an Old Testament prophet, gives such a great example of application. This was an NIV application Bible on the book of Isaiah, and the author's name is Jen, or John N. Oswalt. And he writes this, the contemporary significance of this passage of scripture comes down to this. Have we allowed the child king to take over the government of our lives? Only then can we know the benefits of God with us. We cannot have the light, the honor, the joy, the abundance, the integration that he offers in any other way. The way we apply this is very simple. We ask ourselves, have I surrendered my life to Jesus Jesus fulfilled this prophecy from Isaiah, and only Jesus could have. He was the only human that ever existed that could have, hold, could have held the name Mighty God. But he was so much more than that. He guides us through his actions on the cross. Or sorry, he guides us through life. And then through his actions on the cross, he saved us from the consequences of our sins. He loves us. And amidst all the chaos that the world can throw at us, Jesus remains our foundation of, our, of hope and peace. So have you surrendered your life to Jesus? If your answer is no, now's the time. Let Jesus be your light, just like he was for Israel all those years ago. And if you have questions about this, we would be more than happy to help you. And by we, I don't mean just me. I mean all the staff here at Selfie, all the volunteers here, even the people sitting in the seats around you. We would all be happy to answer your questions or to help you find those answers. But if talking to us is a little too scary, we have a great opportunity this winter season. In February, we're starting Alpha. An alpha is designed for you to explore and understand what Christianity is, and you get to do it in a safe place surrounded by other people that want to learn and grow and ask tough questions and have great discussion. So if you're not there yet, ask one of us. If you have questions about Jesus, talk to someone. If that's too scary, sign up for alpha. I promise Alpha's not scary. It's great. You get to know the people in your circle. I've gone through it three times over my time in ministry. I've led, led it with different youth groups in the past. And the conversations you can have and the insight, it's just wonderful.
But above all, we want you to know that we here at Selfview want to help you in your journey of discovering Christ. So then if your answer is yes, I have surrendered everything over to Jesus, then as the Holy Spirit continues to work in you, let that light shine out of you. God may be calling you to impact other people's lives. And a couple of really practical ways to do that. One, next week, we have Christmas Eve service. Think about who you could invite to come sit beside you during the Christmas Eve service. And if it's been someone that you've invited before and you're like, well, they always work Saturday nights or they always work Sunday mornings, we have five services. They got no excuse. We have lots of options. So think about it. Who could I invite this Christmas season to sit beside me through the Christmas Eve service as we celebrate the birth of our Messiah? Then secondly, ask yourself, who can I bless? You know, in our Philippians series, uh, Sam had an awesome uh, application about doing quarter-sized random acts of kindness. And I hope that you've kept that tradition going as we've continued on. So then ask yourself and look for ways to be a blessing to other people. One small act of kindness at a time, sharing that love of Jesus with them. And as I wrap up this message, I've always heard the phrase, where there's light, there can't be darkness. I heard it before I was a Christian. I've heard it when I'm a Christian. And as I was reading over this passage, it reminded me that no matter how great the darkness is in this world, no matter how tough things get, it will always run from the light. And at the beginning of this message, I mentioned a dark season that I was in. I didn't want to leave you guys hanging wondering, is he still in that dark season? I've come out of it, thankfully. But as I realized that something needed to change, I started to pray. And I just simply prayed, Jesus, I need you. Simple prayer. Prayed it as often as I felt empty. And that following weekend, after I started praying that, I was at church and I was singing praise with, my bo- with a fellow body of believers and we were worshiping God's name. And I just remember this overwhelming feeling of peace that fell over me. And it almost felt like God was saying to me in that moment, I'm here. I love you. And I won't leave you. It was a moment that I won't ever forget. So if you got anything out of today's message, know that Jesus is our light. He is our king. He is our savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were planning to redeem us from the beginning. We thank you for the words of these prophets that they can still be a source of encouragement to us today. And ultimately, we thank you for what Jesus did, giving us the opportunity to have a restored relationship with you. God, I pray that you would be our source of light, hope, and salvation this Christmas season. Pray this in your great and heavenly name. Amen. So before we come to communion, we're going to go into a time of corporate confession. So it'll show up on the screens. And 
I'll read the leader parts and then you will follow along on the bolded parts. So let's do that together now. Compassionate God, we pray for your mercy for all those times when we swim against the current of your heart, when we turn away from the anguish of your beloved creation. Give us your peace. When we let the big picture overshadow the near, small, and local, when we sacrifice the well-being of the whole, when our righteousness creates barriers rather, rather than openings, give us your grace. When our structures, practices, and traditions blind us to you, when our despair or fear of exhaustion, anger, or willfulness deafen us to your voice, give us your grace. When the lures of security, personal gain, and comfort distract us from your oath, when guilt, a sense of inadequacy, bitterness, or resentment separates us from you, give us your grace. Give us your grace to turn and return again and again to you, to say yes to the new possibilities you offer each day, to come home to you. Give us your grace. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you, our neighbors, as ourselves. We truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And I wanted to remind you, and I know I've led us in this and I've shared this passage before, but it's such a powerful passage. And it's 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we confess he hears, he redeems. Now we get to come to the table and we get to do so as the high point in our service and we get to do it celebrating the light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we partake in the bread and the cup, I just want to remind you that this bread represents Christ's body broken for us. And that this cup represents his blood poured out for us. Now, before we take together, we've confessed our sins corporately, but maybe there's something that God's put on your heart that you just need to bring to him now. So I want to give us a few a minute of silence where you can just bring whatever's on your heart before God before we take communion together. And after a little bit of time, I'll pray and then we'll take the elements together.
God, we thank you for Jesus, how he interceded on our behalf, how he is our source of light in the darkness that surrounds us. May we cling to that truth and that hope today. As we take this bread and cup together, we thank you for the spiritual food we receive and the great reminder that it is. Praise the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So open up that top layer and just pull out your bread and just hold it a second until we have all got it together. This is Christ's body broken for us. Let's receive together. And then again, the same with the second layer and the juice. This is Christ's blood poured out for us. Let us receive together. So thank you for joining us. And although this, this time is coming to a close, we can continue our worship and community together out in the Cardo. And I do strongly encourage you to take a second, introduce yourself to someone new, because it's Christmas season, and we don't know what people are walking through and what they're dealing with. And there's a lot of power and encouragement behind a friendly hello and a warm smile. So I encourage you, grab a coffee, say hi. And would you stand with me for a closing word of benediction? So as we go out into our weeks, I just wanted to simply re-highlight the names that Jesus was given in Isaiah 9, verse 6. So Jesus is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. Our savior fulfills all these names and so much more. So be encouraged, hold them as your source of light, and have a great week and go in peace.